This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to the Stockout. The Stockout is your show at Freight Waves for all things related to the CPG industry. I'm your host, Mike Bowden-Distel. I'm the head of Intermodal Solutions here at Freight Waves. Do a lot with data and also do a lot on the media side here, including um, being the community leader of the CPG uh, community. And uh, what we're going to do today on uh, the Stockout is talk a little bit about the CPG earnings that have reported so far. And I think it's safe to say that the CPG uh, earnings season is off to a strong start, maybe in contrast to what we're seeing from some of the freight uh, carriers. Um, so good uh, news for for shippers, maybe not so great for for carriers. Go through a little bit, uh, talk a little bit about uh, Procter & Gamble and how those relate to some of the big CPG trends I'm seeing in the marketplace, um, You know, not just for that company in particular, but all CPG overall. And then I'll talk, give a little bit of an overview of what's been on the site that's I think should be interesting for most CPG companies and talk a little bit of, uh, about the freight market and what we're seeing there. Uh, but before I do those things, if anyone has not already signed up for the CPG newsletter, uh, the stock out, um, easy to do so. Just go to www.freightwaves.com forward slash the stock out. Uh, I try to get one of these out every week on Wednesday uh, this week, I think I'll t- go through um, you know what we learn uh, tomorrow from Nestle, the world's biggest food and beverage company, set to report earnings. They do tend to do a pretty good job of um, you know t- telling us what's going on in the marketplace. They do tend to beat the the um, either beat the consensus or at least do a little bit better than the industry overall because they're so diversified and seem to have really. Um, uh, redone their product portfolio in the direction of having products that are higher margin, higher velocity, faster growth areas, things like health products, pet foods, some of those areas that are faster growing within the CPG um, industry. Uh, so with that, um, talk about our first topic today, which CPG earnings are off to, a, off to a strong start. You know, some of the trends that I've been talking about in the CPG industry um, have been you know, the margin improvement. I think, you know, as we go through the first quarter earnings, a lot of these companies are going to report margin improvement for the first time in a couple of years, uh, starting to see that. The, the elasticities um, are continuing to be muted. That's sort of uh, trend number two, where volume hasn't fallen off too much, even though uh, pricing has been up sharply, you know, a couple of years in a row, still seeing uh, price, price increases. Uh, Third uh, sort of trend here is fewer supply chain issues within CPG, which I think is good news for the CPG uh, companies on multiple fronts. I'll talk about that. And then I think management um, is starting to shoot down some of this uh, beer thesis about the overpromotion of certain products. The, the thesis is out there that the CPG companies are going to um, basically give away any margin improvement because they're going to have promotions, things like buy one, get one free deals that erode away any um, impact of pricing. And then if there's a fifth trend, I think it's really sort of the divergent um, 
fortunes uh, you know, around the world as far as the consumer being in very different uh, places in U.S. versus Europe versus you know China and elsewhere. Um, I'll talk a little bit about that uh, too. So with that, I'll talk a little bit about um, you know we heard last week uh, Friday from Procter and Gamble in a stock chart here that shows uh, Procter and Gamble's performed uh, rather well the last couple of years. The black line there is Procter and Gamble's. Uh, share price and in blue on the left axis is the S&P 500. So it's really outperformed um, the market last two years. Really, there's sort of kind of this shift to quality blue chip names last year. I think a lot of the CPG companies benefited from that. And then you see at the very right part of that screen, it bounced up. Um, you know, it was stock was up about three and a half percent on Friday and really sort of thought the big variance there was the um, the company's uh, volume held up better than expected. Um, I'll talk a little bit about that. But first, uh, maybe this company's uh, you know, margins, which is really sort of the, the big thing that I think most CPG management teams are focused on, is getting their margins back to where they were before the pandemic. You know, when the pandemic hits, you know, strong demand for CPGs, but that actually added a lot of costs for things like contract manufacturing, uh, for issues like not having you know, enough enough um, of the ingredients. So that, you know, caused a lot of surge uh, demand and really then the inflation hit, you know, a couple of years in a row and all those things contributed to margin contraction. And with uh, Procter & Gamble last week saw, um, you know, their first and their most recently reported quarter, which I guess is their fiscal third quarter, their gross margin improved 150 basis points year over year, operating margin up 40 basis points. So it was the first time in a couple of years they were able to report margin improvement. It, we saw something similar with ConAgra when they reported a couple weeks ago. They, uh, you know, ConAgra got their margins almost back to, to where it was in the pre-pandemic level. So both CPGs still below where they were um, in, before the pandemic, but getting those margins much closer. And from what we've heard on commodities, the CPG companies are starting to call their commodities and their cost inputs a mixed bag which that mixed bag phrase is really a departure and a welcome departure from what we've heard really last two years, which CPG's costs had been rising completely across the board. I mean, kind of like just how costs throughout the economy are rising across the board, but now CPG's are starting to call out certain uh, commodities uh, that are, have, have come down. I mean, certainly we see that a lot of that in the publicly traded commodities, things like corn, wheat, soybeans, but then you also see that in some of these other commodities that a couple company like Procter & Gamble uses heavily in its products, things like pulp and resins that go into you know, some of the absorbent uh, materials. Um, they also called out stability in raw materials and packaging costs, uh, which is a, a big part of uh, CPG companies' uh, you know, costs. And so, um, you know, I think all those things are going to contribute to, you know, not just margin stability, but margin improvement. Um, you sort of look at Procter & Gamble's, um, you know, gross margins, 48% and change, still below the 50% and change it was before the pandemic. So still a little ways to go. But I think when you bring up sort of the chart on the CP, P, CPI versus the PPI, I think that's a very similar pattern to what you see in the uh, consumer packaged goods industry, where the the white line, which is the consumer prices, prices you see on shelves, those are in white for the um, industry overall. And then in blue are, are the prices that the producers and manufacturers pay and a very similar pattern we see in, in, in CPG, where the spread really narrowed um, you know, during the pandemic in 2020, 2021, and 2022, and that caused a lot of margin contraction. And, and now it's starting to go the other way. You look at the latest uh, data from the CPI 
Um, consumer prices up 5% overall in March, but that food at home was up 8.5% in, in, in March. And when you compare that to the to producer's price index, up 2.7%. So about half of what the, the, C, the CPI was up and then the, the, the finished foods up 6.7%. So sort of the implication is if you just look at what, what's happening with retail prices, what's happening with manufacturer prices, death spread is, is, is widening by about, let's say, 180 basis points in the most recent month, if you just look at the government data. So it does imply that most of these companies are going to be able to be able to get um, margins that are, are improved. It's really sort of the CPG company's top priority. Uh, the other uh, sort of high priority is keeping um, elasticities manageable. And I do think that the data that we're seeing on from companies, CPG companies that are reporting is that the elasticities have been well-behaved. So uh, Procter & Gamble last week, as an example, uh, took prices up 10% overall, volumes declined 3%. That's a pretty healthy um, elasticity. And what's even more interesting than just that number is if you back out Russia, Russia was about one point of that volume decline. And, and so it would have been more like a 2% drop. And then they said in the past month, volume was only down 70 basis points, excluding Russia. They are getting some benefit from China coming back online um, as the Chinese lockdowns uh, really sort of subside. Uh, so, so I think that's a lot of, of, of good news in terms of the companies aren't giving back as much volume as maybe they would have expected based on, on history. And I think it shows that uh, the consumer is maybe, maybe not in as bad of a, of a situation as um, you know some people expect, or maybe just the CPTs are kind of the last thing people cut back on. They're cutting back on more on the big ticket, uh, you know, type uh, type items. Uh, so um, you saw something similar with with Coca Cola when they reported. Um, it, was, it was just this morning, Monday morning, and their uh, case shipments were up three percent, and that's with you know pricing that that was higher. As, as well. So they really didn't see much elasticity at all, particularly in, in North America, which is also maybe a point to make, is that in, uh, in North America, really seeing elasticity that's below most of the, of the other countries. When you look at you know, the UK, their um, inflation is, up, is more like 10% versus the US, uh, 5% in the most recent uh, months. So you're seeing more pricing pressure there. So the, the, the CPGs that are really multinational in, in nature, um, maybe seeing a little bit greater change in, in, in volume. So I'd keep that in mind as well. Uh, trend number three is uh, fewer supply chain issues are really being felt across the CPG industry. So great news for CPG um, uh, companies. And it was really sort of been a huge problem throughout the pandemic. You heard things like General Mills saying that they didn't know when the truck was going to show up. You heard Kraft Heinz say that you know, on any given day, there's some ingredient or some packaging material they don't have. Seeing a lot fewer of those types of issues, which is actually made it a little bit harder to find topics to write about um, for the, the Stockout uh, newsletter. But I think um, in general, these are good things when they're talking less about their supply chains. I think it means that there are fewer problems uh, with the CPG uh, supply chains. And uh, alongside that, um, you know, companies are talking about freight costs as no longer, you know, being a headwind, which um, I think is kind of an interesting way to, to, to put that, you know, not necessarily calling out freight costs as being a tailwind yet. I do have a chart on drive-in contract um, rates. And so you see uh, the drive-in contract rates on average, um, these are, are rates from a transaction you know, processor in white. And you see those uh, rates come down from 
the first quarter of 2022, they average at $2.89. So they were down 12% in the quarter to about $2.54, still well above spot rates uh, adjusted for fuel, which are in orange, uh, the, the white line is contract rates, you know, not including uh, you know, fuel surcharge. And so you, you sort of put that in the context of, well, what does that mean for a CPG company? Well, transportation and logistics costs tend to be about eight or 9% of their cost of sales. And so a 12% drop is maybe equates to a 1% decline in the cost of sales, which is, is significant, but not as impactful as let's say if a key ingredient uh, really declines in, in price. And I, I think that's why you're seeing CPG companies prioritize um, you know, getting those products on shelves into where into the the retailers' warehouses, having those on time and in full, rather than having a little bit lower price, and that's part of the reason why the van contract rates are holding up better than maybe you would have expected, given how low the spot rates there. You see the spot rates in orange at a dollar seventy six; those are really you know depressed, and you know usually expect them to pull on the contract rates maybe a little bit a little bit more. Uh, that's related to, I think, maybe the most interesting question from last week's State of Freight event with um, our CEO, Craig Fuller, um, our head of uh, um, market intelligence, Zach Strickland, and then we had a, a former analyst there, Adam Josephson. And so sort of the question was from, from one of the audience members is, you know, if you're a shipper, should you just try to get the lowest price right now in the spot market with spot rates so much below contract rates? And there's really a diff difference of opinion where, uh, Craig basically said, go for it. And Zach was a little bit more cautious. Uh, from my perspective, um, following some of these CPG companies, I would say it sort of depends what type of CPG you're talking about. If you're maybe a smaller one, that's not necessarily uh, the big fish. Um, you know, I'd say go go for it and, and, and try to uh, get the lowest rates in, in, the, uh, in the spot market. But if you're one of the bigger ones that knows they're going to need a lots of capacity, I think you sort of take the approach, well, you know, tell your carriers, you know, we're going to take care of you right now, but in exchange, when the market turns around and it will turn around as capacity exits, you know, we expect our carriers to take care, take care of us and, and just really try to be that preferred, you know, shipper. I don't think that approach maybe works for smaller shippers, but for the big, um, you know, national and multinational CPGs that need lots and lots of capacity all the time that have a base level of uh, demand that primarily work in the, in the, in the contract market. That is sort of my my sense is that's the approach to use is, is really try to be a preferred carrier. Don't beat up the the the, the be a preferred shipper. Don't try to beat up the carriers uh, too heavily. Uh, another trend we're seeing in CPG industry is this um, sort of bare thesis that's out there on the over promotion of products. And uh, you know, really, what this means is that you know during the uh, that past couple of years, uh, companies have raised prices a tremendous amount, and they've and they haven't just done that with the list prices. They've also done that with uh, having fewer promotions, which you know buy fewer buy one get one free type deals. Having less of those deals means that they can sort of raise prices without raising prices. And now that uh, there's um, maybe consumers are a little bit more sensitive to price, and with in commodity prices coming down. Uh, there's a bearish uh, thesis um, among some investors that these companies are going to trip over each other to, uh, uh, you know, do more promotions in order for the sake of uh, volume holding up. Um, I think maybe that thesis is a, is a little bit, you know, overdone. I mean, you are seeing some of that certainly, 
uh, Coca-Cola was talking about, you know, earlier today about, um, you know, how they're going to do that in certain targeted markets. And, you know, clearly uh, Procter & Gamble has increased how many promotions they're, you know, having. But, you know, I do, don't get the sense that they're going to give away all the margin um, improvement uh, there. And it's really going to be targeted to areas where uh, the companies feel like there's a lot of sensitivity to price or something that caters to a certain demographic that's really likely to shift to a private label type of brand. But it is certainly something to keep an eye on and something on top of um, everyone's mind. Uh, so with that is a little bit of um, an overview of what's happening in the CPG uh, industry to the companies themselves. I'll talk a little bit about what's new with Sonar, which um, to me, I think is something pretty significant. Uh, contract rates are now available in Market Dashboard. Uh, I have a, uh, some art on an um, article that FreightWaves uh, staff, someone who didn't want to be named, I guess, uh, you know, published this. But this is, this is pretty um, you know, significant because uh, we have this Market Dashboard application in sonar and it's very you know user friendly all you do is put in origin um, and the destination of the transportation lane and previously we just had in there the spot rates from the track which is the trusted uh rate um you know consortium so it's so the track but that what that means is it's a consortium of third-party logistics companies giving us the rates that they're paying um to carriers every day basically the the, the, the buy rates and then um you know, a lot of uh, companies, including a lot of CPGs, sort of said, well, you know, what really help us is the contract rates because we're primarily in the contract rate, contract market, and we want to compare those to the spot market uh, in order to be surgical about both, um, you know, when should you, when should you use the spot market if you're in a situation like this? And like you see on this chart, um, you know, Seattle to Chicago, $1.44 in the spot market, $2.06 in the contract market. So, um, you know, really a, a big discount to move on the spot market. Uh, conversely, when the when the market's tight, it helps uh, shippers to quantify risk. And you know, sort of, it's 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 to say, well, you know, what's what's sort of the the risk that you if your load doesn't get covered in the contract market, what would you have to pay on the spot market, which is normally something uh, you know much higher uh, if we we're in a, a tighter a freight market. So I think it's something that uh, CPG companies will care about. It sort of streamlines that process of getting at contract rates. I mean, we previously had those um, in Sonar strictly in the, um, what we call the CSI uh, tool, um, supply chain intelligence, but I think this makes it, uh, you know, just a more user-friendly uh, product uh, for CPG companies. So I would encourage everyone to go, um, you know, check that out. Uh, move on to the next topic here, which is um, intermodal growth called into question. I think there's, um, you know, this has been a topic that's been on our mind for a long period of time. Uh, when I first joined FreightWaves in 2019, one of the first things I did was write an article about whether intermodal is still a growth area. And uh, that was almost, uh, you know, let's call it four years ago now. And uh, it's, it's still, you know, a question that's top of people's mind. This is uh, Zach Strickland's take on this. He published this, this over the weekend. I would try to get in the habit of, of reading his Chart of the Week article, which is is really um, sort of well curated, very well worth your time. Sort of picks out, you know, tends to pick out one sonar chart that really stands out. And, uh, you know, Zach calls into question, you know, some of the reasons why you might think that Intermodal is not the, the growth area that it has been historically. You know, some of these are things we've talked about in the past, like, the East Coast ports gaining share from the West Coast ports. Um, you know, he also brings up the, uh, the the China situation with more 
uh, shippers trying to lessen their exposure to China in case uh, the geopolitical situations really come to a head. Uh, you know, in China, um, you know, you've seen some some big companies try to you know, get out of China completely, um, and then if you move some of that production to, let's say, elsewhere in in Asia, let's say Southeast Asia, all of a sudden it makes much more sense to use the Suez Canal to, to get it in through the through the East Coast. So that's that's one reason that um, could make it uh, you know unlikely that um, intermodal is, is sort of the growth area it historically has been. And then you know another reason is um, just the service levels not at a at a place where uh, most uh, shippers, including most CPG companies, are really satisfied with the railroads blame the lack of worker availability at the past you know, a couple years, um, you know, on that. Uh, but um, I think there's maybe more goes into that as as well. Things like, um, you know, cost for demerged attention that the that shippers were not happy with. Fortunately, a lot of those charges have come come down. Um, I do have an interesting chart. It's a tree map on outbound uh, domestic container volumes uh, in some of the densest uh, lanes. If we can put uh, that, that tree map up on the uh, up on the screen. Uh, there it is. So, um, you know, one of the interesting... Um, you know, data sets in FreightWave Sonar on the intermodal side is volume, and we can segment this out any way, which, which way you want to segment it out. And here, you know, a lot of times when I talk about the market, I, I say, I'll put the, the densest lanes on a screen and then talk about the, the lanes. And, um, you know, the pattern that really stands out now is these th domestic uh, vol con uh, containerized volumes down double digits, but it really is mixed by lane, but the densest lanes are the ones that are down the most, and those lanes fit into the category of the outbound LA lane. So LA is Chicago, which is the densest lane on BNSF um, that J.P. Hunt uses heavily, down 8.4% the last uh, week. Uh, LA to Dallas, down 28%. LA to Atlanta, down 16%. So it really shouldn't have surprised anyone when J.P. Hunt came out um, and, and its first quarter earnings and say, well, the, the transcon volumes are down. Um, but the, the East Coast uh, volumes are are up, um, uh, so really sort of change in mix there uh, to to a shorter, you know, length of haul. Some of those deeply backhaul lanes and intermodal are actually up, you know, year over year. Uh, lanes like Chicago um, to LA, uh, Dallas to LA, up seven percent and eight percent respectively. So um, a little bit more, you know, balance in the network, and uh, you know, right now it does make it a. a possible for shippers to find intermodal capacity sort of outside of the densest domestic intermodal lane. So there is an opportunity to convert to from, from truckloads intermodal based on capacity that's available. Um, you know, JP Hunt had a really good um, you know, quote that they said that they have about 15 to 20% excess capacity. Um, they said that when they reported their first quarter, they said they have all the resources in place to move incremental volume and the one constraint is imports coming off the docks at the uh, ports of LA and Long Beach, which would then be transloaded and put into domestic containers that they would then move on the um, on the BNSF. Um, so, two few of those inter international containers, and the other thing that's going into that is there's a looseness in the availability of international containers. So, mostly those forty foot containers that go across oceans. There's plenty of those now, and so those containers uh, are largely, um, to at least a larger extent, being sent intact uh, to inland destinations, and that um, makes the um, causes there to be less um, 
you know, domestic intermodal loads and more gas available for domestic intermodal uh, shippers. So those are a few of the things that are happening in the um, you know, domestic uh, intermodal industry, plenty of capacity there. And then you could even say, well, you know, a, a third thing that's going on there is the um, truckload market is very loose. Um, and in particular, um, those those West Coast um, you know, origins uh, where you have tender rejection rates really in the low single digits, they've been the lowest that you know we've seen uh, those tender rejection rates. So something that's like kind of a traditional intermodal lane, something like LA to Dallas, uh, about fifteen hundred miles, normally would be a, an intermodal uh, load. Um, you know, really uh, the the highway is very competitive in some of these longer um, you know lengths of haul. Um, you know, we have one data set in Sonar that compares uh, the intermodal um, uh, rates versus the truckload rates on the same lane. So we look at the same five digit origin, five digit destination pairs include fuel for both of those. And right now that intermodal savings is only about 9% and change overall. And if you look at just the ones that are over, just the lows are over 1200 miles. Uh, there it is. Yeah. So it's, it's that white line, 9.36% is intermodal savings rate. So it's not very much. And then you look at the ones that are just over 1200 miles, which would include something like an LA to Dallas, about 14% you know, difference. And, you know, you have to sort of think, well, maybe that's not enough to entice, uh, shipper to use rail intermodal, especially considering the prioritization that um, you know, a shipper like a big CPG company places on getting those products on time and in full, they it seems like they do not want to lose market share to um, you know, not having those products at the retailer, even if they're even if they end up paying a little, a little bit more in transportation costs. It seems like service is a higher priority than cost. That's not um, you know good for rail intermodal unless the intermodal service can be improved to be truck like, which is um, you know kind of the objective in uh, intermodal service where you can't tell the, the, the difference. The shipper can't tell the difference between um, intermodal and, and and truckload. So those are all trends we'll be watching. I'll try to get out a uh, stack out newsletter on uh, Wednesday. If anyone needs anything from me, feel free to send me an email at mbaudendistal at freightweeks.com. Hope everyone has a good day.